This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This show contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Former heavyweight champ Tim Witherspoon grew up in a part of Philly where the kids were tight and the adults always kept an eye out for you. There was a guy named Tommy Wade uh, that lived on that block. And he would make it a point to come over and make sure that me and my siblings and other kids do the right thing. He started us playing sports, mainly football and baseball. Tim turned out to be really good at sports. So good that after starring on his high school baseball and football teams in the early 70s, he got a scholarship to play tight end at Lincoln University in Missouri, but he only lasted one season. So one day during the game, I caught a football and I went down and I hit two guys and they couldn't bring me down no motion. So I was getting ready to break loose and this big guy hit me right in the back. Boom. Missouri Southern. That's how, that's how bad the hit was I remember the school. <laughs> Tim says he wasn't really feeling the college thing. So without football, there wasn't a reason for him to stay so far away from home. He took a trip back to Philly, and he just stayed there. Eventually, though, his back started feeling better, and Tim started missing sports. I was sitting home after a couple of weeks. I heard there was uh, a couple of uh, friends in my neighborhood. They were all boxing. And something clicked in my mind and said, whoa, I might as well try that. Tim and boxing, they fit like a glove. Pun intended. One of my friends I grew up with, he came to the gym. And when I started sparring, I was doing real good. I was like, bah, bah, bah. And afterwards, you said, man, you terrible, Tim. You terrible. Terrible, as in, you know, good, fire, amazing, dope. Not terrible. You know, if that boy hit a three-pointer, man, that boy is terrible. Or if he ran 100 yards and got a touchdown, man, that boy is terrible. After a few months, the guy who was training terrible Tim was like, I think you're ready. Let's see how you do in a real match. My first fight was against a six-time Golden Glove champ, and you don't do that. And um, here I am, naive, young guy, don't really know what the boxing industry is about. I'm just going in there because my trainer, you know, signed me up and taking me to the fight. Fighting a dude like that was a little different from sparring with his boys in the gym. Man, when that bell rung, he jumped right on me. I didn't get knocked out, but my mouth was all cut up and I was hit, hit around pretty good. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I could take this all my life. But Tim shook off the hits, kept showing up, and learned fast. For someone who was 6'3 and over 200 pounds, he was incredibly quick in the ring and jacked. Before long, he was the one throwing down on the other boxers. In 1979, he decides to go pro and wins his first fight on a technical knockout in the first round. After a few fights in, he starts to get noticed by some big names in the boxing world. We were in the gym sparring, and all of a sudden, this I think it was a limo, it pulled up. Everybody was looking, and then all of a sudden, this head popped up, 
Then you heard somebody say, that's Muhammad Ali. He's coming to the camp. It's not every day the greatest fighter of all time strolls into your sparring session. Ali came in, we stopped sparring. I was like overwhelmed. I said, whoa, I can't believe this. He said, keep on sparring, keep on. He said, go ahead, go ahead. After scoping out some of the other fighters, Ali makes his way back to Tim with a proposition. He wanted Tim to come spar with him. He said, yeah, I'm getting ready to fight Larry Holmes and um, I want you to be on my team. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was crazy. But however successful Tim was getting to be in the ring, he had no idea how boxing worked outside the ring. Back then when I was started, it was really rough. There's no mentors, just nobody there to, to groom you in. We just came off the street, walked in the gym, and we just started going, going straight up the ladder. Managers wanted to sign him and take a piece, and promoters wanted him to box at their fights. When you're young and coming in, you just have to trust somebody. By 1981, Tim had hooked up with a new manager, Mark Stewart, and got his first big fight. He was up against another undefeated boxer named Alfonso Ratliff at the Playboy Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City. To the odds makers, Ratliff was a massive favorite. In the ring, though, Tim was a beast. Taking a terrible pounding just then. Four or five very hard punches by Winfield, but here comes Ratliff. And we approach 10 seconds left in round two. A solid round for Tim Witherspoon. The fight was supposed to go 10 rounds, but by the seventh, Tim had put it on Ratliff so badly that the referee stopped the fight. Two minutes and 25 seconds of the seventh round, and the winner by a knockout and still undefeated, terrible Tim Witherspoon. Witherspoon. It was at that fight that Tim's life as a boxer really began to change. There, in the sea of people crowding into the ring, was a familiar face. Not somebody who was in Tim's camp, but somebody Tim definitely knew. I heard all this noise. Terrible Tim! It's gonna be me and you! Terrible Tim! Walking, like, in back of the ring, and I'm like, what's this? And I turned around, and he said, it's gonna be me and you! He's pointing to me. It's gonna be me and you! Terrible Tim! The man doing all that shouting was Don King. Nobody tell you. They just sitting like wolves waiting for you to grow and grow and waiting for you to get big in the game and they grab you. A lot had changed for Don in the last few years. He wasn't just some inexperienced promoter trying to smash his way into the business anymore. Now, he was the business. Don King was the biggest promoter in the game. And if you were a fighter on a come up like Tim Witherspoon, Don was definitely going to try to get a piece of you, whether you liked it or not. I'm Panama Jackson, and from something else, this is Power, Don King. Today's episode, never fall in love with your fighter. My name is Murad Mohammed. Murad has spent his entire life around boxing. He was a member of the Nation of Islam and worked as Muhammad Ali's bodyguard for a decade. From there, he got into promoting. Timmy Witherspoon was raised by me, and I put him in Atlantic City. And he won all his fights. He knocked out this one, he knocked out the one, the first round, fourth round, and et cetera, et cetera. Mariah says he wasn't surprised when Don showed up and tried to sign Tim. He and Don were competitors, 
but he recognized how much power Don already had. He was a creator. He was a motivator. And he took over the heavyweight division. After his falling out with Muhammad Ali in 1978, Don had completely remade his strategy. He went from trying to control one great boxer to trying to control everybody. By the late 70s, Don had deals with then-heavyweight champion Larry Holmes and with the contenders ranked first, second, third, fourth, and sixth. He signed all of them. They came to him because he was the only one that was paying them a great deal of money. For Tim, Don showing up at his fight was dope. It meant maybe this boxing thing was really going somewhere. My first thoughts, I was like, wow, that's cool. You know, Don King, he's a big-time promoter. I, I felt important. Also, big-time Don meant the possibility of making big-time money. We talked about Don a lot. We're going to make him pay you. He said, you watch and see. You're going to get your money. Just train hard. But the boxing world ain't that big. And already, Don had a complicated reputation. Almost every boxer that I was affiliated with that was with Don King had a problem with him. We heard that Don King, he was ripping people off. I never wanted to go with him when I heard all these things. But Tim's manager, Mark Stewart, got himself in trouble with the FBI and the IRS for tax fraud. And all of a sudden, he needed whatever money he had for lawyers. So he was done with Tim. Now, Tim didn't have a manager and he hadn't quite mastered the business part of the fight game. The details of what happened next are a little bit hazy, but what we do know is that starting six months after the Ratliff fight in Atlantic City, the promoter for Tim Witherspoon's fights was Don King. He was a good fighter. He was an excellent fighter. And he decided to go with Don King, and he was paying much more than I was paying him. I didn't stop him. At first, working with Don was great for Tim. He won his next two fights, and then Don got him his first chance to fight for the heavyweight title against Larry Holmes. Tim ended up losing in a split decision. Two fights later, Don set him up for a match in Ohio that would air on national TV. But then, while he was training, Tim got sick. I caught an air infection. They sent me to the hospital to get it checked out. So the doctor said, stop boxing immediately. Because if you get hit in your air... You could probably lose your hearing, or you could lose your equilibrium. Don says, sure, sure. Just come out to Cleveland now so we can announce a postponement. Don King wanted us to come to the press conference to tell the people why I can't fight. But once Tim landed, he said the story changed fast. They picked us up at the airport, and then they took us to an office where Don King and them was. Turned out, there was no press conference. According to Tim, Don took him to the offices of the Cleveland Boxing Commission. I mean, Don had Cleveland wired, and the commissioners did exactly what he wanted them to. Tim says they told him that either he fought his next fight on schedule, or they would strip him of his boxing license. Tim refused and went back to Philly. The commissioners, they made their move. They went ahead and took away Tim's boxing license, and without it, Tim was going to have a hard time getting any fights. After a couple of weeks, Tim says Don reached out. He was like, you know, I can make all this go away. You can get your license back, but I need you to do something for me. Sign an exclusive contract with me as your promoter. 
and hire my stepson Carl King to be your manager. If the first part was a little dicey, well, the second part was just crazy. Don was telling Tim that the guy who would be negotiating with Don to get Tim the most money for every fight had to be Don's stepson. Tim was like, nah. I didn't sign. I was mad. I went back home and, and they, they kept calling me to sign. I said, nah, I'm not signing with him. Tim started running low on funds and he couldn't see any way to stay in boxing if Don decided to blackball him. He controlled the majority of the boxing business. You know, he had the judges, he had the officials, he had everybody, so you couldn't run that far. When it came down to it, Tim didn't really have a choice. My pockets, my money and stuff was getting down. Then I said, no, I better make a decision. And that's when I called Don up and said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Don invited Tim to a meeting at his offices in New York to work out the details. I did say, well, can I get a, a lawyer and stuff to help me? And he said, no, you don't need no lawyer. And I was forced to sign the contract. Tim actually signed four contracts that day. The last one was blank. I guess in case Don needed to fill it in later. Don admitted as much in an interview with Sam Donaldson. Let's talk about the way you signed him up. You bring him to your office and you have him sign four contracts and one of them blank. Is that fair? Yes, it's fair because we didn't know what we were going to do to the fourth one. Had I signed him up with the price in the contract beforehand, it would not have been fair with him because what the price is in today's market may be altogether different in the future market. Don might have had a point about Tim's value changing in the future. But come on, blank contracts? Damn. Don was now Tim's exclusive promoter, and Carl King was now his manager. And just like that, the fight in Cleveland was back on. Getting fighters to sign on Don's terms, that was just one of Don's moves. Then there was the one about playing both sides of a fight. When Tim got a shot at the vacant WBC title, Greg Page, the guy he was going to fight, just so happened to be another fighter in Don's stable. When I fought Greg Page, he had me and Greg. He had me and Greg. This was why Don worked so hard to sign all the top heavyweights. When two of his boxers fought each other, no matter who came out on top, Don would get to walk away with the new champion. Yeah, he had both of us in the ring, so he was a winner all the way, 100%. There's a good right hand and a combination by Witherspoon. But he takes the shot from Page and goes against the Rotary. Good combination, maybe the best of the fight by Witherspoon. After 12 hard-fought rounds, Tim came through with the win and a claim to the heavyweight championship of the world. But for Tim, none of it went the way he thought it would go. I was robbed. I was robbed from all that feeling and being up there on the tops and all the glamour. I was robbed. That's after the break. Welcome to True Spies. The podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that. 
trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. When Tim Witherspoon defeated Greg Page for the heavyweight championship of the world, he was supposed to make $250,000. But Tim says he only got $44,000 of that. And this was maybe the quintessential Don King move. Now, this move started with the part about how Tim's manager was Don's stepson, Carl. Don was the boss. Don was the manager and the promoter. Carl got a paycheck. Carl was just there as the front as the manager. And really, Don was the boss. Don took all the money and gave everybody checks. Don was everything. That was the bottom line. Carl was just there. We reached out to Carl for this story, but we got no response. Before Tim saw any money, Don would take his cut as a promoter and Carl's cut as a manager, even though Tim didn't think all that much of Carl's managing. He said, well, I'm gonna go talk to my dad to get it changed. But a lot of things never got changed, you know? And maybe that was just him saying it to make us feel like he's trying to do his manager job. Like I was cool with him. He'd give us hugs and talk to him. He would like, man, I'm gonna see if my dad could change this and change that. He said, I'm gonna talk to him. I don't know if he, if he ever talked to him. The other part of this move was the ways Don would finally get a piece of Boxer's paychecks. He was charging fighters for everything. You trained at the facility I own? That's a fee. Oh, you went to see my doctor? Another fee. Oh, you like the meal I sent to your dressing room after the fight? Great, that's a fee too. Every promoter was doing some version of this, but Don raised it to an art form. And it's like, it's like an unbalance, you know? With, with me, I was training real hard, but my business was down here. He only give you a certain amount when you fight, and if that runs out, you got to borrow money from him. I did it several times. Other boxers did it. I won the heavyweight championship of the world. I had to borrow 10000 from him. And I had to pay it back. When Tim was getting ready for a fight, he would train with other boxers that Don promoted and Carl managed out at Don's camp near his mansion in Ohio. So the boxers, they would get a weekly pay. This particular Friday, Carl King didn't come with the checks. So everybody got in their cars. And we drove around to where Don King's mansion because Carl King had a nice place right next to it. However badly Tim was getting treated by the Kings, a lot of the other fighters had it even worse. I was the only one who had money. Like, I was champ, and I was lending people money, and they would pay me back. That's how bad it was at the camp. Tim says by this point, people were through. And so we just knocking on the door. Yo, Carl, come on, man, we need our money. Bam, bam, we was there for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Then I said, man... Yo, he, he, he's probably not there. Let's, let's find him another time. Then somebody seen the blinds move upstairs. But no matter how much they banged on that door, Carl wasn't about to come down to talk to a gang of pissed off boxers. Eventually, they drove back to the camp, which is when it dawned on Tim that if Carl didn't pay the other fighters, none of them was going to have any money to pay Tim back. Then I'm going to have to lend some more. So I was like mad and stuff, but I think I took a rock. And I threw it up against the wall. 
So then some of the guys, they went and they had guns and stuff. They went into their quarters, they went to their rooms, they got the guns out. Things got a little wild. They started shooting this camp up with guns, live ammunition, shooting the ceiling of the kitchen, shooting through the, through the walls. They messed the camp up real bad. Now Don was out on the West Coast when all this went down, but he flew back almost immediately. Everybody was waiting for punishment. Don King came in. He had us all lined up in the room. You, that's it for you. Pack your bags and get out. The better boxers, Don kept them around. But he had a little something for them, too. Then the next guy came in. Your money, your money's cut off. You could be mad at Don all you wanted. But that didn't change who had the power. With Tim, though, things were a little different. Because Tim had real value to Don. From 1983 to 1986, Tim was always either the heavyweight champion of the world or one of the top contenders. And that meant people would pay good money to see him fight. Fight after fight, though, Tim would look at the hundreds of thousands of dollars these matches were supposed to be worth. And then at the tiny fraction of that that ended up on his final check, he'd get more and more frustrated. We get in the ring and we perform, we do the best we could because we know we was getting pennies. That frustration turned to bitterness about the way he felt he and other boxers were being treated. Here he was risking his life and his health and getting so little in return. They get you ready, give you your oats, give you water, rub you down, get you training. But really, they don't care once the race start. No, they care if you win because that, that enhanced their, their chances of making more money and bigger fights. After Tim beat Tony Tubbs for the WBA heavyweight title, once training costs and management fees and whatever else was deducted from his pay, Tim says he walked away with just $10,000. Now, as the champion once again, Tim was, at least in theory, in line for a big payday. For his next fight, Don matched him up with a British fighter named Frank Bruno, who had a record of 28-1 with 27 knockouts. You know, and they built that fight up, and it was a big money fight, too. The fight would be at Wembley Stadium in London, so the money from ticket sales would be huge. HBO paid Don $1.7 million for Tim to take the fight. On top of that, the British TV rights would bring in even more cash. What was real important was me to go over there and fight Frank Bruno because they really sold the stadium out and everything. 65,000 people in the stadium, people all over the world buying uh, the fight. Before the fight, Tim saw in a British paper his official share of the purse, a number that, once he converted it from pounds, was a little more than $1 million. The fight itself was brutal. Tim and Frank Bruno were out for blood and kept at each other round for round. I'm talking hit so hard, eyes were closed shut and faces were hella swollen. It was as if they were gladiators and the rule was only one of them could make it out of the ring alive. Witherspoon dangerous with a swinging right hand. And Witherspoon, an angry attack, as though he's disturbed. But after 11 rounds, Tim had put such a beat down on Bruno that the ref stopped the fight. Tim was still the champ. When it came time to get paid, though, same old story. While Frank Bruno, who lost the fight, walked away with $900,000, Tim says he got just $90,000. For Tim, this was the moment when his relationship to boxing changed forever. I got tired of it. 
I got tired of it. Like I went in places and got paid way under the level that I was supposed to get paid. I just was fed up with it. And he was for sure fed up with Don. I decided that I'm going to spend the rest of my life, my boxing life, with somebody else. I just wanted a new horizon. Don had Tim under contract for one more fight against James Bonecrusher Smith. If Tim won again, he was set for a matchup with Don's new superstar, Mike Tyson. But Tim was willing to do anything to get away from Don. I called in, everybody was in my corner. I got my group together, said, look, man, this is it. I'm going down in the first round. Tim says he went to the fight and was planning to lose. And that's exactly how it went down. In the first round, with 49 seconds left, Bone Crusher clocked Tim with a right hook, and Tim just dropped to the canvas. And another hard right hand, and Witherspoon in a whole bunch of trouble here. I try to make it look good by crawling, but then there's a lot of people saying, no, nah, you got knocked out, but I knew what I was doing. Tim had lunged forward coming down to all fours on the mat. As Bone Crusher turned away, raising his arms victoriously, the ref waved his arms calling the fight. Tim slowly stood, posted up on the ropes, and it was over. So I went down, and it was the best feeling in my whole life. I felt liberated after that fight. I felt, ooh, I'm not with Don King anymore. I can just go on my own separate way. And I was happy. And Tim had a plan for how he was going to get even with Don King. He was going to get all that money back that Don had cheated him out of over the years. He and his lawyer sat down and did the math to figure out how much to sue Don for. The number they came up with? $25 million. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Tim filed a lawsuit against Don King, accusing him of restraint of trade, fraud, antitrust violations, unjust enrichment, racketeering, breach of contract, and fraudulent conversion. To win a court case against Don King, Tim and his lawyers needed airtight proof that Don had stolen from him. 
When we start uh, getting everything together for the lawsuit, they did a whole lot of work, a lot of research. Don was required to turn over all of the financial information relating to Tim's fights, as well as the records of Carl King's company, Monarch. There was a lot to go through. And to me, it was boring. I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Half the time I was falling asleep because I was drinking the night before. I was miserable. I was smoking marijuana. After months of sifting through all of that paperwork, they finally found what they were looking for. Then one day, bam, they found the numbers. They found out that 500000 went into one account and then disappeared in the other one. Tim's team set up a meeting with Don where they were going to confront him with the evidence to try to force him to pay up. One of Tim's guys was like, Don, can you explain this to me? He was sitting next to Don, and he was like, well, we want to know how did this 500000 leave one account and then disappear in another one? Don King actually slapped his hand and said, what you, what you talking about? Started talking to him. After that meeting, Tim says it felt like it wasn't just Don he was up against. I was being antagonized everywhere. There were people verbally, like, trying to get me to settle everywhere. I went this place and that place. They showing up. Man, you better settle this lawsuit, man. And Tim says it didn't just stop at folks expressing their opinions. There was guns coming to me. You know, people knocking on my door. And I had children, so I had to really think about what I'm going to do. Their back and forth went on for months. And it wasn't a good look for Don or Tim. Don was still trying to promote fights, and Tim was still boxing. In 1988, an imam in Philadelphia reached out to Tim. He told me to come up to the mosque so he could talk to me. He told me, look, man, here it is, two black people arguing and fighting, and the world is viewing it. You got this lawsuit. He said, I want to see if I can get Don King to change his mind. The imam calls Don, and Don agrees to the sit-down. They meet at Don's mansion in Ohio. Tim has his crew, Don has his, including his wife, his right-hand man, Carl, and the man who had recently become the heavyweight champion of the world, Mike Tyson. The meeting didn't go so well. Tim says Don tried to lowball the shit out of him. Don King said, well, we can give you two fights, and I give you $40,000 up front. That's when I got mad. I jumped. I said, 40000 bucks. I said, hey, man, we came all the way over here for this. So I was like shouting at Don King and saying all these things. And then the E-Man grabbed me and walked me into the next room. And he said, look, man, I'm going to negotiate. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to get this thing. Let me handle this. Don't go off the handle again. Tim could hear them talking in the next room. Mike Tyson was like, all he wanted is some money, Don. I'm going to give him some. Don King said, you better not get that motherfucker. He was cussing. He said, better not give him shit. Don't give him nothing, Mike. So then we walked back then, and we sat down, and Mike walked over to me. He said, yo, man, this money here. Tyson held out a wad of cash, maybe $1,000. I said, oh, so I got up, and I took it, and I gave him a hug. I was broke. And when Mike gave me the money, I said, Mike, he's going to rip you off, man. I'm telling you, he's going to rip you. I said, yo, he's going to get you, Mike. You better do something. That money from Tyson would be all Tim got out of his trip to Ohio. 
The back and forth between Tim and Don went on like this for almost four years before finally the judge in the case started getting serious about setting a date for a trial. But that right there seemed to focus Don's mind. Because Don had some other things going on. He had gotten some insurance money for a couple of fights that had gotten canceled. And he was facing fraud charges because the government said he had submitted false claims to get that money. So he wasn't thrilled about having to supply even more evidence in Tim's case that could be used against him in the fraud case. Don's lawyers went to Tim's lawyers and were like, how about we settle this once and for all? Tim's lawyers thought that was a pretty good idea. And he's like, don't you take the money, Tim. Take this, I think it was a million one or a million two or just a million. At first, Tim was like, forget it. I wanted to go all the way, win or lose. I wanted to go to the very end. His lawyers, though, well, they pointed out that if Don ended up getting indicted on the fraud charge, Don's money might get tied up for a long time. They said, Tim, if you get indicted, we, we'll be lost. It'll take you 20 years or you might not get your money. And it's not like things were going all that great for Tim at this point. I wasn't getting no calls from anybody. No boxing stuff was going on. I, I, I was like, wow, maybe my career is over. I knew that a lot of officials was mad at me because I'm suing Don King. I was just sitting there, man. The money was just flying. Money was like, my money was getting lower and lower. And I said, man, I better take this deal. I better take this deal. It's hard to know how much money Don King made off of Tim Witherspoon. How much got taken out of his paychecks to pay Don's stepson Carl. How much he was overcharged for training or food or tickets to his own fights. How much money Don might've just straight up took but it's a safe bet that after 11 fights of Tim's that Don promoted, nine of which were massive fights for the heavyweight championship, it was a hell of a lot more than $1 million. So many boxers sued Don over the years alleging things like what Tim alleged. Larry Holmes, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson. And for Don, each one of those lawsuits was just another negotiation, just another chance to pay as little as he could. Tim kept fighting until 2003. His 69th and last professional fight, he fought when he was 45 years old. For a long time, he held a grudge against Don. But one day, after he had retired, he was at a fight for a boxer he was helping out. And Don was there. So after the fight, Don King is walking in my direction. Then he got closer. And then he came straight up to me. And then he opened his arms out. He came in and then he gave me a hug. He said, I love you, Tim. And then I hesitated for a minute and said, I love you, Don. I love you too, man. And then he walked away. And I said, I just said I love the guy. For Tim, that moment gave him a sense of closure. Man, something hit me just then. It's over. I can go on with my life. For this show... We talked to a lot of people like Tim who beefed with Don. People who had every right to still be mad at him 20 or 30 years later. But you know what? Pretty much everyone was like Tim. They'd made their peace with Don. And this is like the fundamental mystery of Don King. This man who built people up, used their talents for his game, and then dropped them when they stopped being useful to him. And yet, he's the man that everyone still seemed to find love for. Like that uncle who stole from your dad, but everyone's still cool with at Thanksgiving. People know what he did. So I could survive in this world 
by saying hi to Don, shaking his hands, because he has to live with something that he did. And I didn't do that. So I'm feeling good. What went down with Tim went down with a lot of boxers of his generation. But Don's treatment of fighters and self-serving business practices were not going unnoticed. All kinds of folks had started keeping tabs on him. People in the boxing community, journalists, and the FBI. Coming up next week on Power, Don King. Willie, I was part of the Colombo family, which was one of the five New York Mafia La Cosa Nostra families. The FBI wanting to clean up that sport, they started an undercover operation. They wanted to go right to the top, and that was Don King. They had heard he had mob connections. They knew he had mob connections. The Bureau, we were at, we were right where we wanted to be. Quite honestly, there was a lot of corruption in the sport. You can manipulate the sport to your advantage, especially if you had trainers and fighters. We had several fighters tell us about how he ripped them off, uh, how, you know, he threatened them, that he had bad friends and things of that nature. I met with a couple of my mob associates to let them know that I was going to meet Don. He put his arm around my shoulder, and I'll never forget it. He's a big guy, you know, he's a really big man. He said, you know, Joey, I play by the rules. You know what the problem is? You don't like the rules. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is hosted by me, Panama Jackson. Our producer is Tiffany Walker. Associate producers are Kyra Asabe Bonsu and India Whitkin. Our editor is Keith Romer. Mixing and sound design by Evan Arnett at Spoke Media. Fact-checking by Natsumi Ajisaka. And production management by Jennifer Mystery. Our executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. Our theme song is by Nolan Schneider. Our consulting producer is Radio Rahim. Special thanks to Andrew Mambo, Grant Irving, and Steve Ackerman.